Good Tuesday evening, everybody. Hey, thanks for coming. I know it's a busy time for you. I know you still have classes, right? So classes haven't been canceled. So I know you still have class and life is busy. I understand busy. And so I just want to say thank you for coming. I appreciate you being here. I hope this is a time of spiritual enrichment and encouragement as we have the privilege again to gather together. Uh, let's, uh, let's tune in to Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, this evening, I promise we're going to stay there um, for the duration. We started there this morning just looking at the first verse and had to go and take a little peek at the story of Uzziah. And we finished chapel this morning. If you were here, if you're not, here's a little reminder or a little summary. We finished uh, talking about the reality of a condition known as spiritual frostbite. Spiritual frostbite, this inability, this inability to see, this inability to hear, this inability to think, this inability for our hearts to sense the leading, guiding, and directing of our great God. We are numb, we are desensitized, and often it's because of pride, arrogance, and ego. I asked you this morning, are you spiritually frostbit? We ended chapel, maybe you remember, maybe you don't, but I asked you this morning at the end of, the, end of chapel, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to say, I surrender all? I will follow fully, completely, wholeheartedly after my great God our great God. What's it going to take? I was thinking about my days as a student here this afternoon, and I was thinking about a few occasions where God orchestrated uh, some wake-up calls for me. I thought I'd share them with you ever so briefly. I had applied to Dallas Seminary. I was uh, going to graduate soon from Emmaus Bible College, and I had applied to DTS, and I needed some references. So I asked a dear friend uh, uh, of our family, a dear friend of mine, one of my profs, instructors, teacher, uh, Mr. Keith Leverance, sometimes known as Pop Lev, sometimes known as Lev. Um, many of you know him, involved in leadership at the Great Adventure Church. I asked him to fill out a reference for me, and this is what he did. I didn't like it, but I'm so grateful for it. He said, John, here's what I've done. I've filled out two two reference forms for you, and I'll let you see them both. One is what I know to be true about the potential, <laughs> about the potential, about what I know God can do through you. I know he's gifted you. I know you have a heart for him. Here's one that, that describes the potential, but here's one that describes what I currently see. little wake-up call for me. You see, I was a little distracted. I won't get into the details. I've already told you that. I was a little distracted, like some of you I can tell are as well. I was a little distracted. I was a little distracting. And I wasn't fully, wholeheartedly following after my great God. So that was a great wake-up crawl. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to fully, completely, wholeheartedly Follow after God. Another occasion, I was uh, loading tables from the dining hall into the freight elevator. 
Now, when I was a student, here's the deal. The freight elevator was supposed to be on one of two floors. That was the rules, and I was a fan of the rules, and so for the most part. <laughs> and so I thought to myself, the, the elevator is either on the upper commons or the lower commons, uh, those floors. So I checked the upper commons, and the story is this. The elevator was not there. And so I conclude it wrongly, but I conclude it, it must be where the only other place it could be on the weekend, the lower commons. So I went downstairs to the lower commons. I went to open the freight elevator doors. You've been on it, right? You know how the doors open? And they open like that, about a foot or so, give or take. And I thought wrongly to myself, you know what? I bet you that chain link like fence door, the emergency safety door, isn't all the way down. Somehow it's just partially down. It's not all the way down. So maybe if I could just reach in there and grab a hold of that emergency chain link safety door, then maybe the doors will open all the way. And then I can help load tables and away we go. So as I reached in to grab that chain link fence-like safety door, the elevator came down. Exactly. It kind of went like this. It was a snap, crackle, pop. And so, yeah. And so my, my arm, take a deep breath, everything's fine. My arm was crushed in between the freight elevator itself and the elevator shaft. Hardly a blemish. Just a little scratch. I still have a scar from that but I have a larger scar that represents the rebuilding process. Crushed in seven different spots and all kinds of damage internally. I remember the star athletes, a guy from Seattle, he won the dunk contest in Seattle back in the day. He was the first to see me and he ran outside and regurgitated, no doubt. It was a, it was a pretty messed up scene and yet they rebuilt it. I'm still friends with a doctor who loved the emergency project of rebuilding my arm. <laughs> and it's still held together with a little bit of metal. Half of it's no longer in there, half of it's there. And I just wanna tell you this, that God wasn't bringing the hand of discipline upon my life, but he was using that event to capture my attention. And I could go on and on. True story. I could go on and on of the different ways over the years that God has captured my attention to ask me again, am I wholeheartedly, fully, completely following after him? Or for some reason, in some way, shape, or form, am I spiritually frostbit? And if so, what's it going to take? Isaiah chapter 6 is a familiar passage. I know that to be true. But I want to suggest to you, and maybe this is a different way of approaching it, I want to suggest to you that the prophet Isaiah gives us three prescriptions, three uh, recommendations, three antidotes, if you will, to avoid spiritual frostbite. And I want to suggest to you that these three things that he emphasizes, we desperately need to think about sincerely tonight. So will you do me this favor? Will you put your phones away unless you're looking at the text? And will you pray with me that we might ask and answer the question, am I spiritually frostbit? And if so, what's it going to take 
for me to follow after God wholeheartedly. Father, help us. Help us now, we pray. We again ask that you would take away distractions, that you indeed would teach us whatever it is you want us to learn. Father, it's so easy. It's so easy to get caught up in all the stuff the world bombards us with. Father, we, uh, we sometimes are amusing ourselves to death. And I pray, Father, that we might have the courage to face the music tonight, that we might examine the spiritual condition of our hearts before you, because we know you do. Your word tells us that you know, you see, and you examine our heart's attitude before you. So what kind of condition are our hearts in tonight? No hearts, half hearts, whole hearts. Help us, Father, to examine and help us to ask and answer, am I spiritually frostbit? If so, what's it going to take for me to surrender all? Help us tonight, we pray. Help us to see the way we need to see in order for us to live the way we need to live, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you this question. When, uh, when you think about God, what do you think of? If someone were to say to you, would you please describe God for me, what would you say? You know, in the book of Hebrews, the end of the, at the end of the book of Hebrews, we are told because of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest who gets it, who understands, who sympathizes, and, and can do something about it all, we now can boldly approach the throne of grace. And when we boldly approach the throne of grace, guaranteed we will have mercy, grace, and help right when we need it. And so I'm asking you this question as we get started tonight. What do you think of when you boldly approach the throne of grace? When you go before the God of the universe, what do you think of when you think of him? How would you describe him to somebody else? When the Lord Jesus, when the Lord Jesus, the son, teaches us, the children, how to talk to the father in the Lord's prayer, you know how he starts? He starts with, that's right, we know the prayer. He starts with a, a worshipful pause. We rarely do this. Because we're in such a hurry to ask. And when Jesus, the son, teaches us, the children, how to talk to the father, he says, pray this way. Our father, that's who he is, who art in heaven, that's where he is. Hallowed be thy name. Set apart. I want to ask you tonight, honestly and truly, how do you view God? How do you view him? in his complete attributes and characteristics? Or do you pick a few favorites that are just convenient for the way you think and live? How do you view God? Isaiah receives this vision, and it's timely. The best days for the children of Israel are behind them until the promises that remain for Israel come about. But when you look at the Old Testament, after Uzziah died, it wasn't like it was in the reign of King Uzziah. 
And so the children of Israel are in that contextual historical reality in the year of King Uzziah's death. And they needed to be reminded, Isaiah did and they did, of who God really is. Some would say this is the conversion of Isaiah, much like the road to Damascus for Paul. I would say it might be more accurate to say it's his consecration where the clue phone rings and Isaiah picks it up because of the vision that we find here. And so when I read it to you, don't just check out. Think about this vision and ask and answer this question. Do I, do I view God this way? In the year of King Uzziah's death, you're following, I saw the Lord, picture it. In John's gospel, we're told that Isaiah is referencing uh, the pre-incarnate Christ here. Something for you to think about, but a, a picture of the glory of our great God. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord, and picture this, sitting on a throne. Are you picturing it? Lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. I want to ask you after verse 1, does that describe the way you think of God? the way you on the regular, on the daily view God in his majesty, in his holiness, in his splendor, in his rightly used awesomeness. Do we view God that way? I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. And there were these creatures, these angelic messengers or beings known as seraphim, only place used here in Isaiah to describe these folks. And they were six-winged creatures, and they had a task, a function, a goal, a purpose. And it was simply to declare over and over and over who God is, his holiness. Holy, holy, holy. You sang it tonight. Do you really mean it? Do you really view him that way? Here are these agents of cleansing, these literally these burning ones, these seraphim. And they had six wings. With two, they covered their face. Many and most would say, and I think for good reason, they couldn't look upon the, the glory, the splendor, the majesty of this vision. And so they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet, all kinds of theories as to why the one that makes most practical sense is just to get, again, a, a form of consecration. With two, they flew, and they flew about with this song of praise, worship, and declaration, saying that God is holy, holy, holy. Only place in the Old Testament where you have the trifecta. The repetition of the holiness of God, you have it in Revelation chapter 4 as well, this triad, but a declaration of the holiness of God. So I'm asking you, I'm asking you, do you view him that way? When you go to pray, do you pause enough to say, God, I want to just take a moment to remember who you are and where you are and what you're like? We have watered down God. And we have made him soft and cushy and comfortable. 
Three prescriptions we find in this vision uh, that Isaiah is blessed to receive and received intentionally for himself and for the children of Israel and for us by way of application. The first is this, we must view God correctly. We must view him correctly. An individual named Moyer describes a scene this way. Let me read it to you. His holiness, listen please, his holiness is simply his godness. In all his attributes, works, and ways, he is not like us, only bigger and nicer. He is in a different category. He is holy. We have, in my humble opinion, 54 years of age, I'm saying this to all of us, we have lost a reverential awe and respect for God. And we need to view him in his completeness and in his splendor and in his majesty and in his holiness. It goes on to say this in verse three, you're following, right? And one called out to another, these seraphim, these burning ones, and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. On a few occasions here of late, one time this summer I was driving to, I was driving to Turkey Hill, Turkey Hill Ranch Bible Camp, right? I was driving to Turkey Hill and I was going through these crazy storms. But before the storms, I just looked around and the dark skies and the, sh the, the sun shining, it was, it was majestic. I had to pull over, get out of the car and just look about and it was windy and it was no joke and it just had me pause and say, what a mighty God I serve. The heavens declare the glory of God. The whole earth is full of his wonder, his majesty, his glory. Saturday night, true story. I was driving home from Cedar Falls. It was Saturday night. It was with my queen, and we were driving back from uh, a conference at Bethany Bible Chapel, and it, it was the craziest, weirdest weather night. Do any of you recall it? Uh, did you notice? Perhaps it was in Dubuque. We were coming into Dubuque, and the skies were, I am telling you, crazy cool, dark, brilliant, majestic, and then there was this rainbow that was vivid like no other. Please tell me somebody, somebody saw it on Saturday. Thank you for coming. It was unbelievable. My daughter was texting us pictures. There was a double rainbow she saw. Eventually we saw it, but I couldn't even get over it. And I said to Kate, can you get over that? God is just screaming and declaring, I am real. I exist. And it caused me to just paw in awestruck wonder. Folks, how do you view God? If you're going to talk to somebody tonight and answer the question, here's how I view God, what would you say? When you boldly approach the throne of grace, the throne of grace, I love how those words go together. The one who rules and reigns is gracious. And when we boldly approach that throne, what do we conjure up in our mind's eye? Do we approach it with a holiness? Hallowed be thy name. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse four, unbelievable. And the foundations, check this scene. 
And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. 734, I want to ask you, what do you think about that? I want to ask you, what is your reaction to the vision that Isaiah received of our great God? I want you to think about that. And I want you to ask and answer the question, do you view God that way? Or does your perspective need to be tweaked and adjusted to view him in his completeness and in his splendor and in his righteousness and in his sinlessness, in his perfection, in his awesomeness, in his majesty. And the words go on and on and on. I wish we had time. We don't, so we won't. But I wish we had time for you to just say, here's how I respond to that. Here's my reaction to that. And it, and it ought to be for all of us just like Isaiah's response. You see, when we view God correctly, prescription number one, remedy number one, then secondly, we will view ourselves correctly. If we want to avoid being spiritually, spiritually frostbit, and if we want to surrender and wholeheartedly follow fully after our great God, we've got to see correctly. We've got to see God correctly. Don't water him down and make him soft and comfy and cushy. He's a holy, righteous, awesome, majestic, splendor-filled God. Do you view him that way? When you talk to him, how do you talk to him? I know we can have an intimate relationship with him. I'm not talking that we can't or suggesting that we can't. But like the Lord Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We try, we don't do this perfectly, but we try to pray every night as a family. And when we try, when we start praying, we try to just pause and say, let's talk about for a moment who God is and what he's like and remember who it is we're talking to. You ever have a parent say, what'd you say? I can, I can remember my dad saying that to me. I can remember my mom saying that to me. But my dad more often perhaps saying, you know what, John? You need to think about who you're talking to right now. What did you just say and how did you say it? We need to remember who we're talking to, who he is and what he's like. Holy, holy, holy. Prescription number two, we got to view ourselves correctly. And you know what Isaiah does? He says this sincerely and appropriately and so should we. I'm done. I'm ruined. In comparison to the holiness of God, in, in comparison to who he is and what he is like, I am just the flat opposite. I am, he says it this way, he, is, he says, I am ruined. I am, literally, it conveys this kind of idea. It says, I am falling apart at the seams. I am undone. Woe is me. This is the first time Isaiah speaks in the book of Isaiah. And the first thing he declares is a statement about himself. I am a man of unclean lips. And he talked about his nation as well. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Here's why, here's why. 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, when we view God correctly in all his splendor, his majesty, his holiness, it ought to cause us to view ourselves correctly as well. And I would suggest to you this, when we're not viewing God correctly, we don't view ourselves correctly. And I would suggest to you sincerely, that's why we're so comfortable and at home with sin. I wanna ask you, I'm not mad at you, I'm not trying to be ugly, I'm talking to all of us, but the reality is we do not view sin the way God views sin. And we need to. And in order to do that, we need to view God correctly in who he is and what he's like in his perfect, majestic splendor and majesty. And when we see him the right way, then we will see ourselves the right way. I want you to ask yourself the question, does sin bother you at all? Do you feel guilty about sin? Are you embarrassed? Do you blush? Are you uncomfortable? Are you convicted about sin? I want you to know I'm baffled. I'm just gonna say to you, I'm baffled. And I would absolutely love for you to come talk to me afterwards and tell me why this is. But I am baffled how we can in evangelical circles be so at home with and comfortable with seeing through most social media platforms, absolute filth and sin and vulgarity and suggested suggestiveness and pornography. And the list goes on and on and on. How is it that we can be so at home with it and say we wanna follow hard after Christ? Please. I'm not, I'm not trying to rip or be mean, but please come talk to me, explain it to me. Is it because we, we, we have grace? And so we just say, you know, God's gracious. And every time I confess, he's gonna forgive. I believe that. But I also believe we don't have to sin because we're dead to it and alive to God in and through Christ Jesus. So there surely is a corrective way to live the Christian life. And we need to do that every time we sin but there's also a preventative way to live the Christian life. Remembering the old is gone and the new has come. We shouldn't live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. So why is it that we're so comfortable and tolerant of sin? And maybe you're saying, you know what, I'm not, Mr. Glock, I'm not, I'm not. And you know what, I'm, I wanna say that might be the case and, and good on you. But I'm just talking with broad strokes and I just sense that there is just a casualness when it comes to the reality of sin. And we've lost the correct view of God, and as a result, we've lost the correct view of ourselves. Woe is me. I'm ruined. I am undone. I'm falling apart at the seams. Isaiah says this, I say this, we all need to say this when we take the correct gaze at our awesome, righteous, majestic God in all his glory and splendor. 
I've told some of you this in various settings, um, but I'll remind you and share it with the rest. I had a guy, a mentor, several men, individuals who impacted my life in a big way. I've mentioned some already. There's a guy from uh, Camp Elam in Colorado Springs, um, one of the, the founding fellows, if you will. He was involved at Emmaus Bible College as well. Dear, dear friend of my dad, and he influenced me in a big way. This man was huge, folks. I'm talking beastly huge. He was like 6'4", 6'5", 325, easy, just a giant of a man, but he didn't have a voice that went along with his body. I'm serious. He had a really high-pitched voice, and I loved it. Um, and he used to call me Jonathan. Jonathan! He used to call me, and he would say, he would say this to me. I won't do it in the high pitch because it kind of bothers me and it, it's a little distracting, but imagine this in a high-pitched voice. He would, say, he would say, Jonathan, I want to encourage you to pray this. Listen to me. If you remember nothing of spiritual emphasis days and you remember this prayer and you pray it, your life will change. He used to say to me this, Jonathan, ask God to help you to hate your sin and love him more. Listen to me. If you claim to know Christ as your savior, be reminded tonight that he, the reason he died is because of our sin. And be reminded that God despises it and hates it. And we need to despise it and hate it too. God help me to hate my sin and love you more. If we want to avoid being spiritually frostbit, we need to view God correctly, number one. Prescription number one. Number two, we need to view ourselves correctly. Number three, we need to view forgiveness correctly. Ha <laughs> I love forgiveness. Look at what it says. Then one of the seraphim, again, literal meaning burning ones, angelic beings, agents of cleansing, and then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, would you listen? Behold, this has touched your lips. The, things, the thing he said about his lips earlier was, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And the very thing he identified as unclean, the seraphim touched. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Listen to what Ortland has a great work on Isaiah. He writes and says this. A seraph, picture it, will you? Six-winged, burning, angelic being, burning one. Here it is. A seraph peels off from his flight path around the throne, diving straight for Isaiah. He's holding a burning coal that he took from the altar with tongs, but not because it's hot. After all, a seraph himself is a burning one. He took this coal with tongs because it is a holy thing. It belongs to the place of sacrifice and atonement and forgiveness. I'm going to read that again. 
Would you listen? It belongs to the place of sacrifice and atonement and forgiveness. But this holy thing touched Isaiah's dirty mouth and it does not hurt him. Watch this. It heals him. What we must see in the context of the whole Bible is that this burning coal symbolizes the finished work of Christ on the cross. Listen to me. What is your reaction when we read the words that were declared to Isaiah, where it says this, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away. Ha ha! And your sin is forgiven. I'm going to read it again and I just want you to come up with a word of reaction. Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. And so I want to ask you tonight at 747, Tuesday night, what's your reaction to that? What's your reaction? You see, in order to be spiritually, in order to avoid rather spiritual frostbite, in order for us to have wholehearted hearts in following after our great God, we have to see God correctly in all his splendor, majesty, and holiness. We have to view ourselves correctly. Woe are we. And we have to never lose sight of his saving and forgiving work. Isaiah makes a declaration of confession. He says, listen, I am guilty here. And God provides forgiveness. God provides cleansing from iniquity and from sin. And so hear me say this to you. I don't know you all. I recognize a lot of you. I know many of you, but I don't know all of you. And so I want to say this to you clearly tonight. You might be someone who has, like Saul, no heart. Like Paul described in 1 Corinthians, you might be someone here tonight that is a natural man or a natural woman who is owned and enslaved to sin. That might be you tonight. And if that is you tonight, I want you to understand this. <laughs> Christ died for you. In, his in your place, in our place, condemned he stood. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we, the sinful ones, might become the righteousness of God in and through him. So if you're a natural person tonight, if you are Saul-like, having no heart, may I remind you anew and afresh that salvation is free. Forgiveness is free. It's a gift that is offered through Christ alone, through faith, because of great grace, and you could be saved tonight. And I'm not being egotistical and rude when I say this. Some of you need to be, because you're not. True story. And your sins and your iniquities can be forgiven and taken away and cleansed. If you are someone here tonight who is saved, 
What in the world is your reaction when you are reminded of the cleansing and forgiving work of the Lord Jesus? Provided to us and through us from our, our great, holy, and righteous God. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? Wouldn't it be amazing if in, in God's plan and through his son's instruction that there would be an occasion for us to on the regular have a reminder of who God is and who we are and what has taken place in and through, in and through his finished work? I love it when we are able to gather together as believers to take the bread and to take the cup and to remember because we are forgetful rascals to remember who we were without Christ and who we are now because of Christ and what we have to look forward to when we will be with Christ. Are you kidding me? And so the Lord Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember me in this way. And it's a wonderful occasion and privilege, invitation and responsibility. And I have to have these reminders. I forget like crazy these days. Some of it's because I'm 54. Some of it's because I still have some COVID funkiness, but I forget. And so I'm thankful that in God's simple yet significant way through his son's instruction, we have, we have a planned methodology for us to see God correctly. And as a result to view ourselves correctly and to view forgiveness in the finished work of Christ that this points to correctly. And so I'm asking you, I really am asking you, what's your response? So what? What's your reaction? What's your application to this? When you see God correctly, which causes us to see ourselves correctly, and we see this concept of forgiveness, not based upon what we bring to the table or offer or do, but based upon his salvation, cleansing, forgiveness, there ought to be a response. And Isaiah has one, and it needs to be ours. Listen to what happens. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, okay, here's the question. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? It's a great question. I'm looking for folks. Who, who is it? Whom shall I send and, and who will go for us? Anybody out there? Anybody out there who's willing to say, you know what? I know who God is. I see him the right way. I know who I am. I see myself the right way. I know what he's done through his cleansing and saving work. I see that correctly as well. And so guess what? I'm in. I'm in. I remember when Joel Hernandez was uh, speaking on this stage. I think it might have been at a spiritual emphasis days or Christian ministry seminars. I don't really remember. I don't remember much, but uh, I remember him saying this. The answer is yes. What's the question? I love that. The answer is yes, God. What do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to serve? There's a voice that's heard with the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Logical natural overflow of gratitude response is this. Here I am. Hey, here I am. Send me, I'll go. 
Are you kidding me? I know who you are. I know who I am. And I know what you've done for me. So I will do whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. I'm all in. Here's the deal. Many of you aren't. And I don't get it. What's stopping you? What's keeping you? Why delay? Why wait? Why hesitate in saying to God, I will surrender all? Galatians 2.20, it ends this way. Motivation, it ends this way. He loved us and he gave himself for us. Logically, doesn't it make sense that we would say, guess what? Out of gratitude, I will love you and I will give myself for you. Isaiah says that, I'm all in. Here I am, send me. And then he gets a little, a, a little picture of what it's gonna be like. And let me tell you something, it's not pleasant. It's not easy and serving God isn't always easy. Matter of fact, most of the time it's not but it is so fulfilling and satisfying and meaningful and purposeful. And he's told this, verse nine, here I am, send me, Isaiah says. And he said, go, go and tell this people. Listen to how the people are described that he'll be ministering to. And let me just give you a little, little clue. They're spiritually frostbit. And he said, go and tell this people who keep on listening, but do not perceive, who keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and return and be healed. Answer me this, does verse 10 describe you and your distracted state of being? Listen to what verse 10 says. They keep on listening, but do not get it. Do not perceive. They keep on looking, but do not understand. Their hearts are insensitive, their ears are dull, and their eyes are dim. They, my friends, the people that Isaiah has just said, here I am, send me, they are spiritually frostbit, stiff-necked and rebellious people, the word of God says. And yet Isaiah says, whenever, wherever, whatever, I'm all in. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to break out of the funk of being spiritually frostbit with dull, insensitive minds, ears, eyes, and hearts? What's it going to take? May I suggest to you we need to do what Isaiah did. We need to experience what Isaiah experienced. Viewing God correctly 
viewing ourselves correctly and viewing his forgiveness and saving work correctly and then respond correctly by saying, I'm all in. 